evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us for our next edition here of Primetime, Sunday night Bible study series of podcasts produced here at Calvary Baptist Church in Gaylord, Michigan. The original air date on this is Sunday, October 10th, and we're continuing with this study of the book of Daniel. We're in chapter 4, the book of Daniel chapter 4, and We've gone through the famous accounts of the refusal to eat the king's meat that was sacrificed to idols, and then for that matter also the uh, account of the fiery furnace where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down to the, to the idol, and uh, they're thrown into the fire, and as near as we can interpret it, it was actually the Lord himself who was in the fire with them, and uh, the king sees this, and acknowledges that their God is all-powerful, even more powerful than his gods. But we spent some time last week mentioning that it did not mean that he denounced his gods. He basically tried to have it both ways. And that was a common factor of culture in that time period. It was an influence from the Greeks, but also um, certainly would have been Babylonian culture, which is part of what they're, uh, they're under the rule of right now. Later, the Persians, then the Greeks, and then later the Romans. But they all had a tendency to want to combine things. And uh, we talked about that last week, too, how today that would be known as religious pluralism, trying to claim everybody is right. But back all those years in the Old Testament here, Israel is in captivity, and Daniel and his friends are young men, and they're serving on the staff of this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was known for his fits of rage. Uh, it appears he was quite immature in many ways. And so now we're ready for the next event here. It's another dream, and Daniel has the gift of interpreting it. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. We actually left off about verse 9 last time. I'm going to start back to chapter 4, verse 4, and um, read this. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, if you've not already read chapter 4, stop the recording and take a second to read it, and then we'll be back and we'll continue. All right, we are back. This is Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. Let me pray for us and then we will get underway. Heavenly Father, as we continue this study of this fascinating book from the Old Testament, from the prophet Daniel, Lord, help us to not only understand things through the lens of what was written to the people at the time it was written. So we hear it in context. And then as we bring it forward into our lives today, when we seek application and meaning, let your word speak to us on its own terms, Lord. Don't let us read into it. Let us always be using exegesis, where we pull the meaning from the word, not eisegesis, where we push the meaning into the word, and that's where all sorts of strange things happen in churches of otherwise very well-intended people. Help us to not fall into that trap, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, this is Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to go back to verse 4 just to kind of give us a little bit of a recap. It's sort of like picking up from our previous week and as one of the favorite television shows that I was growing up with. Very often, the narrator at the beginning of the program started out with the statement, last week, as you recall, and the assumption was that the people need that in order to pick up where they had 
left off on the, with the, the cliffhanger of the previous week. So here we go, Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I made a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, and they did not make known unto me the dream thereof. But at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. Remember, Daniel was given a basically a Babylonian name. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, lowercase g, and before him I told the dream, saying, and here's verse 9, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. So he's saying, Daniel, you've, you've helped me out with this before. I know you got connections with this all-powerful God that saved your friends from the fiery furnace. I don't totally get it, but I obviously know that he exists, and so I respect you. So tell me. Tell me what this means. That's, that's kind of what he's saying. And I even have a, a different commentary that I would actually encourage you to look at every now and then. It's from a website called Enduring Word, EnduringWord.com. It's a gentleman named David Guzek, a longtime pastor. And his commentaries are useful. You can choose which translation that you want it to be displaying. So I choose the King James Version as the translation that it displays, but it goes and verse by verse gives a number of different things that it points out. In verse 4 here, it talks about that Nebuchadnezzar's rest in his house, he says, flourishing in his palace, but frankly, it was a false peace. God soon took him from his false security. This dream is not the same dream that he had two chapters earlier in Daniel chapter 2. He told his closest associates, his fellow Babylonians, the dream, and they didn't tell him what it meant. The dream is fairly easy to interpret. The wise men lacked the courage to say to him. Nebuchadnezzar says that they did not make it known, not that they could not make it known. And then at last Daniel came before me, and we wonder why at last, why wasn't he sent for sooner? If if these soothsayers and sorcerers could have served the turn, Daniel would have not been sought. So the best guess is that what it is here is that uh, <laughs> the king basically knew that Daniel was going to be able to tell him the answer, and he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to deal with it. He was hoping that his own fellow Babylonians who were on his staff, these magicians and soothsayers and wise men and astrologers and Chaldeans and all those categories were going to tell him something that he wanted to hear. In other words, he had itching ears. Very often, we do not want to hear the truth. We only want to hear what we want to hear. That's true of any of us if we aren't careful. And so he goes and gets, has Daniel brought to him, basically. And so here we go. We're in... Um, Daniel 4, verse 10. And the king, 
here. And by the way, those of you that are grammarians may notice this is written in something that's called the third person. It's written almost as if um, it's quoting the king, but the king is not speaking of himself. He's speaking as if a, someone else is speaking of him. But now here it comes to a direct quote. Daniel 4, verse 10. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. And here he goes. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached into the heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. And the leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bowels thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud, and thus said, Hew down the tree, and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from underneath it, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth the kingdom of men, and given it to whomsoever he will, and setteth it up over the basest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now, O Belteshazzar, Daniel, declare the interpretation thereof. For as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. And he uses gods in plural, and it's a lowercase g. So he explains to Daniel, this is the dream that I saw. And let's... Um, Let's kind of take a look at this in kind of everyday language. He's laying in his bed, and he sees a dream with a large tree in the middle of the earth. This tree grows very tall, reaches high up for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves. It was loaded with fruit. Wild animals lived in its shade. Birds nested in its branches. The whole world was fed from this tree. And then during the dream, a messenger, a holy messenger, comes down and says and I'm paraphrasing here, cut down the tree, lop off its branches, shake its leaves, scatter its fruit, chase the animals out from its shade, chase the birds out from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, and bound it with, with a band of iron and bronze, but leave it surrounded by tender grass. Let it be drenched with the dew of heaven, and then let him, let him, live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. So the idea here is that this tree, this stump, is representing something, because now it's referring to the tree, not as an it, but as a him. And for seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. 
This has been decreed by the messenger. It's commanded by the Holy One so that everybody's going to know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. That's a paraphrasing of the passage. And what we really have here is it's something of a, a poetic letter. And it's the narrative of Nebuchadnezzar's fall told in the third person, as I said, emphasizing that during the recorded events here, the king was in no condition to assess his own experiences. He is described in the dream at the height of his powers. And the central motif in the dream is that this tree that represents a, a world empire which reached to and provided for all, but over it is a heavenly decree that that world empire is going to be reduced to a stump and the empire is personalized by saying, let him, let him, not let it. An individual is going to be humbled, living like an animal, drenched with the dew of heaven. And presumably this element of the dream that filled Nebuchadnezzar with foreboding and puzzled the magicians is this whole issue that whoever this is talking about is going to be stripped of all their authority and all their power and is essentially going to lose their mind for a period of seven years. Now note that um, Nebuchadnezzar instinctively interpreted the reality of Daniel's spiritual life in terms of his own perspective. He says, you've got great connections with the holy gods, plural and a lowercase g. Again, as I had said last week and even mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, what's happened here is that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has um, acknowledged Daniel's God, but he has not disacknowledged all of his pagan gods. Um, that's more than just religious pluralism. It's, it's something called polytheism. Many gods is really what they would translate to, many gods. That was typical of that era. Many people don't realize it, but there are many people who have fallen into that today. We all have to be careful. We all have to be careful because we could easily get swayed into, into that religious pluralism thinking that basically says that uh, Allah and the God of the Bible uh, are one and the same. And no, it's not. That's one reason why there's such a huge tension between Islam and Christianity, and for that matter, between Islam and Judaism. All right. So, that took us pretty much up to verse uh, 19. So, Daniel speaks again here. Let me check my time and see how, okay, we're fine. We're about halfway. So, in Daniel 19, here's what it says. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. So, he spends an hour just kind of astonished, listening to what the king had said, and he thinks about it. And then the king spake and says, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Basically saying to him, Daniel, don't let this thing get you too worked up. Just tell me what it means. <laughs> so Daniel answers. And here at the end of verse 19, he says, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Uh, in plain English, Verse 19, uh, what he's getting at is he's saying, um, well, let 
me find it here. I'm looking in the paraphrase. <laughs> the events, I wish these events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies and not to you. That's really what he's saying. So let's go back here to the passage. Sometimes switching between windows on the computer is slow. Not because the computer is slow, but just because the software is so complex. So here we are at um, verse 20. And he says, The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, and whose height reached into heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit was much, and under it was meat for all, and under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and the branches lived and housed the fowls of the heaven and their habitation. He's kind of re restating all the details there. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reached unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas a king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, Hew down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots there in the earth, even of a band of iron and brass, in a tender grass field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. Lord is a lowercase l, meaning it's a human position. Okay. Verse 25, here's what he's saying to them. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou Know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, the kingdom shall, sure, shall be sure unto thee, and that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. So let's take a look at this and break it down, that he's saying, Your Majesty, here's what the dream means. And something, by the way, I mentioned this last week, and I heard a podcast in this last week by Albert Moeller, president of uh, the Baptist Seminary in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Dr. Moeller is a very conservative, solid Bible teacher. And he wasn't talking about this particular passage, but he referenced this and others, in which even when people disagreed with their leaders, they spoke respectfully of their position. He basically saying to him, O great king, you're wrong. Here is what it really means, and here's what's going to happen. Please hear my advice, O great king. And he was commenting, and even John MacArthur, a well-known pastor in Southern California, had been commenting of how way, way too many born-again Christians have turned into essentially potty mouths when they speak about government officials. Now, there's not quite the comparison. Our government elected officials are not our king, but they are the governing authorities, and Romans 13 is pretty specific about this. And so... They also are speaking to something that I mentioned last week. I'm troubled 
yet how we have lost respect for the position, especially when we do not hold a respect of the person who is in the position. Perhaps another message for another day, but I have to draw attention to it here. You see how respectfully he always speaks of the king and to the king. And I mentioned it last week, and now I'm seeing some pretty big names going in that same direction. Um, coincidence, perhaps, but nonetheless, um, I ask you to consider that because I think that it is an issue of the hearts of men and women who are Christians facing frustrations about decisions made by those who are in governing positions. And yet I look at their Facebook posts and foul language and just totally unacceptable for born-again Christians to behave that way. And the first, the worst part of this is that, to be honest with you, some of these people are pastors who are doing this. I hope you would agree with me that is just not appropriate. So I am struck by how respectfully he's speaking here. In starting in verse 24, your majesty, the most high, has declared what's going to happen to you, is really what he's saying. You're going to be driven away from people. You're going to live in the fields with the wild animals. You're going to eat grass like a cow. You're going to have the dew of every morning all over you, and this is going to last for seven periods of time until you learn that the God of all creation rules over kingdoms of the world, you included. <laughs> the stump and the roots of the tree are left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back when you've learned that the God of all creation is the true God. And then in verse 27, he kind of finishes it, says, Oh, great king, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Then perhaps you will continue to prosper. That's a paraphrasing of this. But I think it's a pretty accurate paraphrasing. Now, let's take a look at... Uh, Verse 28, where it continues, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked into, in the palace in the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of the poor and the honor of my majesty? Well, the word was in the king's mouth. There fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, of thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. This same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were growing like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. I mean, that is a seriously powerful image. His nails are like bird's claws. So let's take a look at the commentary here. What happened? What happened to him? Well, God's decree is fulfilled, starting in verse 28. He had a year that was given to repent. That's verse 29. And Nebuchadnezzar is found again to basically be in self-exaltation in verse 30. He's talking about the way he says, I built my power and glory for my own majesty. And apparently he did have significant accomplishments, including uh, some major reconstruction programs. 
He built the, uh, the Hanging Gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But he consciously pursued this policy of expansion, claiming he'd been appointed to universal kingship by one of the pagan gods. And then divine judgment is announced in verse 31 and 32. And it involves a complete humiliation, a complete humiliation of the king and his authority. He loses his sanity in verse 34, and he's removed immediately, verse 33. His confession in verse 33, by the way, says that his sanity is eventually restored. It lends support to the view that the king's response to God's judgment brings on a condition. Um, some people think that it was a, a psychotic condition such as the staggering impact of God's word on the mind. The king portrays himself as superhuman, but he became subhuman. Having set up his own statue to be worshipped as the image of a god, and then he forfeits life as the image of that false god, lowercase g. And the last remnants of true glory. Having behaved in like an animal, he now reaped the harvest of the seeds that he had sown. Uh, that's a kind of a, a paraphrasing from a different commentary. What he has sown, he has reaped. The king has been removed from power, but more than that, he's lost everything, and he's now going to live as the beast. He basically has some sort of a serious mental condition that God has stricken him with, and it's going to last for seven years until he repents, until he comes to faith. We know that Scripture is filled with stories of situations in which people are warned, given time to repent, to change their ways. And then God waits and waits more and waits more and waits more and continues to warn and continues to warn, and then eventually time's up. But he didn't just, you know, send lightning bolts out of heaven and wipe out the king, did he? He's now going to work on him. He's going to work on repentance. And then eventually the king is going to get his, his mental faculties back. And my guess is that the message is trying to tell us he gets it back because the Lord gave it and the Lord took it away. And now he's going to restore it eventually. So that's what we'll be talking about in the next podcast. We are leaving off here at, um, let's confirm the verse that I'm leaving off here. We're leaving off. Right at the end of chapter 4, we'll probably pick up around verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes to heaven, and mine understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. That sounds like a king who not only is back to acknowledging Daniel's God, but it sounds to me like he's acknowledging Daniel's God for who he is. And we'll talk about that next week on our next podcast. So I thank you for joining us. I do enjoy putting these things together. I hope they're helpful to you. If they're encouraging to you, feel free to take the link that I sent uh, you to listen to this and share it with somebody. Send it to them. Email it to them. If you watched it through our Facebook page, Click on the share button and share that to others who you think might find it useful. In any case, you have a great week. And uh, just know that through all of our difficulties, 
today, even though they're real, we are living in a time in which our difficulties in Daniel's time would have been considered minor inconveniences. My point is count our blessings, praise God for all the good that he has done, and know that where we have difficulties, he has not abandoned us. He is with us until the end of the age or until he calls us into his presence. Friends, have a great week. God bless you, and I will see you soon. Take care. <music>